Welcome back to Rome Boys. On this episode, we welcome His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Bishop Athanasius Snyder was born of German parents on April 7, 1961, in the Soviet Union. Bishop Snyder himself received his first Holy Communion in secret, since the practice of the faith was outlawed under the communist regime. In 1973, he left with his family for Germany, later joined the canon regular of the Holy Cross of Cumbria, where he was given the religious name Athanasius. He was ordained a priest in 1990. In 1997, he received a doctorate of patrology and, in 1999, became a professor of patristics. In 2006, he was consecrated bishop at the altar of the Chair of St. Peter in the Vatican. He was then assigned to the position of auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Astana. He is the general secretary of the Bishop's Conference of Kakistan and titular bishop of Salerina, Switzerland. He is the author of several books, and his most recent book, the springtime that never came. Well, I appreciate in your book. I mean, it's hard hitting. You are not afraid. I'm just picturing Jesus Christ saying, be not afraid. <laughs> and you bring out, you, you answer the questions with transparency and with boldness. So I really appreciate that. And of course, the title of your book, the springtime that never came, you know, we're hoping for it, you know, the, the new Pentecost and a revival in our Catholic Church. So what is necessary, Bishop Athanasius, for that to happen? What, what needs to happen for this new springtime to occur? It needs to happen to go back to the roots, which we have. Because uh, today and after the council, we had the impression that bishops and, and the clergy, churchmen and lay people were more concerned about the leaves, but did not care about the roots. Mm. So when we don't care the roots, then we will not have beautiful leaves and fruits on the tree. And this is the situation which we had in the last decades and 50, 60 years. We forgot the, the roots. And the most important root is to give Christ, to put Christ at the center of all, to put God, the supernatural, so the, the, the supernatural, the grace, God in the center, which, um, which gave us Jesus Christ this way and the apostles and the saints. And, uh, and this was the reason that the church in the last decades was diminishing the centrality of Christ, diminishing the vision of, of the supernatural. And therefore, uh, it could not bear fruits uh, mm. or enough fruits. And so this is the first, to put God in Christ at the center of all. And first of our liturgy, because as we pray, the mode and the manner, we show who is for us Christ, which importance, which centrality he has. So we have to improve 
the, the adoration, the worship, really to be Christocentric. And then again, to proclaim the truth of Christ, of the church, which sets us free, mm. the full truth, not a half truth or a quarter truth, mm. but the full truth which Christ gave us and revealed and the church transmitted these unchangingly during the centuries. So this, I think, is so important. And from this should come out uh, the improving of our moral and Christian life. As we say, the, the holiness, the vocation to holiness of all in the church. This was one of the main points of the Vatican II Council, the call to holiness to all the members of the church, and especially the priests and uh, now the, the families. And this is the, the way which will bring us, which bring us uh, the true springtime of the church. Hmm. You mentioned Vatican II, and I know that can be a controversial topic for some. Uh, were, do you, what, what are your thoughts behind uh, Vatican II and then the concilium that followed? Um, well, the, the, the Second Vatican Council was a meeting of bishops, a solemn meeting, uh, to discuss uh, some uh, theological and pastoral issues for our time. So it is not a council, it's not the word of God, but it's only a, a manner to explain the word of God, the faith. So we have not to overstate a council. A council has only a subordinate uh, meaning uh, to serve. And so it was uh, for the first time in the church, a council which did not propose um, teachings in a definitive manner, as we say, in an uh, infallible manner, but uh, made more a pastoral approach to explain some uh, themes of the, of the faith. But I think the most important uh, topic which the Vat Second Vatican Council wanted to transmit to our time, as I mentioned, was the be, to be aware that all the members of the church, especially also the lay people, are called to holiness, to mm. live the will of God in their conditions, everyone in his own condition, and to strive for holiness. I think this is the main, to my opinion, the main point of Vatican II. And, um, and so to, to call the lay people to be apostles, to be witnesses, uh, testimonies in our uh, modern world. Uh, the rest, I think it's not new, but Vatican II said some topics were not yet uh, mature in the Vatican Council. And therefore, they were proposed as declarations, so in a very low level, not in a high um, doctrinal level. And these issues then afterwards caused some um, 
doubts and some misinterpretations because they were formulated in an ambiguous language sometimes. And this is the pity which we have to state that some expressions in the Second Vatican Council were formulated uh, not in a clear manner, but in an ambiguous, so you could then make afterwards an interpretation in both sides. And this happened, unfortunately, in the last decades, especially the undermining of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ and the church regarding other religions. And this is, to my opinion, very, uh, we have to take this very serious, this. And uh, I hope and I believe that the church in the, in the future will again correct some ambiguous in, uh, interpretations and some ambiguous formulations of the Vatican Council regarding the uniqueness and absoluteness of Jesus Christ and, uh, and that the other religions uh, are not the will of God in no way, not a positive will of God, but only a toler God tolerates other religions as he to tolerates and permits our sins also, hmm. but only the only way is Christ and the Catholic Church, which he founded and in, which we have to proclaim to all the people, of course, with love and with respect, uh, but nevertheless, we have to tell them to all religions, to the Jews, to the Muslims, to the Hindus, to the Buddhists today, that is only one way which God wills for you to believe in Jesus Christ and to be part of his mystical body, the Catholic Church. Wow. I, that was great. Yeah. Here in the United States, we're in the midst of this Eucharistic revival among the bishops. And, you know, I, for me as a teacher, I just want to help people to believe in the real presence of the Eucharist, you know, and that is just that's so huge. So in your in your wisdom and your knowledge and, and your opinion, what would you say? How can we get Catholics to believe in the real presence? What would make the 30 percent, 20 percent numbers that we hear that Catholics believe get to 100 percent to believe that Jesus Christ? Christ is present in every tabernacle in the world. First, I think it's important that the priests, that they teach clearly the, uh, the faith about the real presence in the Eucharist in their homilies on Sundays and to do catechesis. So important to repeat again and again the teaching of the traditional teaching of, and the clear, unambiguous teaching about the Eucharistic real presence and with examples of the life of the saints, it will be uh, helpful. And then not only the teaching, because we have to improve the manner we celebrate the Eucharist. And so to, to, to be more reverent, uh, to be more sublime, the celebration itself, then it will speak uh, from itself, that here is something holy, here is something exceptional holy, exceptional holy. This is the Holy Eucharist, the presence of Jesus Christ. And so to, to invite the people when they approach Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, in the Holy Host, during Holy Communion, that this all should be done in the, in the uh, 
uh, utmost um, reverence and gestures also. We are not angels, we have a body. So we have to express also with our body that here is God in his infinite holiness present in this little host. So we have to kneel down. This is so logic, how we can stand. We have to kneel down when we receive Holy Communion. We have to open our mouth like children because Jesus Christ said, if you will not receive the kingdom of God like children, like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. All these gestures we have to again to, to practice communion kneeling on the tongue to avoid the loss of these little pieces of the host, which is oftentimes in our day, it is proven, falls down on the floor or is sticking on the, on the palm of the hand or on the two fingers which people take the host. And all these gestures are so important. So we have to avoid every danger that there will be lost some fragments of the Holy Host. This all demonstrates our faith in the real presence, not in the symbolic presence. If yeah. this is only symbolic, so we are not, we have not to be concerned about these fragments or standing or kneeling. So it is a symbol, let us say, like the Protestants do, and therefore they don't kneel the Protestants before the Holy Eucharist. But we have to, again, to reproduce this, which the church practiced exactly more than a thousand years. All the Catholic generations, the saints, they always knelt down yeah. and received Holy Communion with such a reverence, with such a care, the extreme care. And so we have to introduce this and then to show all the signs of reverence to Jesus in the Eucharist, the tabernacle, to put the tabernacle in the center of the church, not in the corner, in the side. Yeah. This is not, um, not fitting and not, not true because Jesus in the Eucharist is the center, really, even the physical and the center should be. And so you see, these are exterior signs which will help the people to be aware that here is really God, really, not symbolical, really. And so we, do, we have to do all what we can to stress this, to stress this, to, and then to that the priest and the people during Holy Mass should be, at least during the Holy Consecration, to be uh, turned with their faces to the same direction to the Lord who is present and not to be around the table how, like the Protestant style. So these, to my opinion, are the, the indispensable necessary elements, ritual to stress, to improve the faith. So the, the, the theory, the faith. So this goes together, it's inseparably. We cannot only preach about beautiful homilies and catechesis about the real presence and then we behave ourselves in such a minimalistic way towards the Lord during the, during the Mass. It is together. 
And then uh, I would stress also the importance of Eucharistic adoration outside Holy Mass to invite people to teach them the value and the great spiritual benefit uh, of the Eucharistic adoration. So to, to make adoration chapels also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love how it's the, the message is so simple and so straightforward. Yeah, if it's mm -hmm. just a cracker, then what's the point? Yeah, mm -hmm. and so true. Uh, thanks for being real about mm -hmm. that and uh, not trying to reinvent the wheel Yeah, because there's no need, right? Jesus started it all. Let's stick with what, what he started. Yeah, the roots, like you said. Exactly. Is, do you find uh, that, uh, <clears throat> well, is it, what may I ask, what are some of the challenges of being a bishop in today's times that you see and face? Yes, today it is the challenge for a bishop that um, that we have to we have not enough uh, support from Rome, from the Pope, to teach with clarity to defend the doctrine of faith, even regarding the the most important moral issues. Let us say, like. Uh, the defense uh, of life, so uh, to speak against the horrible crime of abortion, to speak clearly against the uh, homosexual homosexuality and LGBT um, influences in the church and in the world also. So the the, the undermining of the marriage and family. Uh, these topics, the, the, the bishops, unfortunately, in the world are only few who speak clearly and defend the truth of family, of marriage, of chastity, of the holiness of the Eucharist, and uh, and to be uh, and against abortion and so on. And in these topics, we have not so much support from Rome. Mm. Wow. And from the other college, colleagues, uh, episcopal colleagues, unfortunately, this is, for, to my opinion, a challenge today. And also the whole, to defend the holiness of the Eucharist, to mm -hmm. introduce again the communion, kneeling under the tongue, to defend our Lord in the Holy Host. It's difficult for a bishop today. Mm -hmm. And this is a challenge because we are those who do these are a very uh, tiny minority, very few, and they should be supported by the Pope himself, by the Vatican. But this is not happening in these our years. We hope that this will again return and that Rome will be, and the Popes will be the first defenders of the holiness of the Eucharist. And the, the defenders clearly are unambiguous against this uh, gender ideology and so on, practically also, because it is not sufficient to say we are against gender ideology and we are in favor of marriage, but at the same time to promote or to accept um, people who are promoting 
homosexuality and to praise them like Father James Martin mm -hmm. is praised sometimes by the Vatican or uh, this is a contradiction when you are supporting people who are undermining the marriage and the holiness with, with gender and ideology. And then at the same time you are saying, okay, I give you a blessing for your work. This is a contradiction. Or to say we are against abortion, but at the same time you allow uh, activists of abortion like Mrs. Pelosi and others to publicly receive Holy Communion. Mm. This is a contradiction. You cannot say you are against abortion when you at the same time as, uh, as the respons responsibles in the Vatican do admit her to this and do nothing, mm. really nothing, to clarify these statements. And this is the difficulty, to, I think, to, for the bishops. I compare the situation of a bishop today, the challenges, with the situation in the fourth century uh, in the church where it was a great confusion with the heresy of the Arianism. Arianism it was yeah. a heresy which infected almost all the, the entire church, especially in the East. And this heresy denied the, the divinity and the eternity of the Son of God. So it was a, a very dangerous heresy. And the majority of the bishops at that time collaborated with this heresy because it was the fashion of the day and it was the policy of the government, of the public opinion, let us say. And there were, remained in those times only few bishops who resisted the heresy and who resisted any collaboration with ambiguity in doctrine. It was the first place Saint Athanasius, yes, Saint, uh, Saint Basil, Saint Gregory of Nazian, Saint Hilary of Poitiers. There were a few only, but then uh, the, the truth uh, triumphed again. And so in our day also, we hope, because as a bishop, St. Athanasius, in his times, he, he wrote to a friend bishop of him this phrase, it is not fitting that we bishops are serving the time. We have to serve the Lord. Yes. Mm -hmm. And how great do we need that now as well? Yeah, for such a time as this, yes. Absolutely. When I first saw you it was on Raymond Arroyo's World Over Live, and then I started like reading your books and then uh, seeing your name pops up all over the place. You know, we first originally had Bishop Strickland on, Bishop Joseph Strickland on, you know, he's in a neighboring diocese here. And so, you know, we've yeah. kind of like, you know, kind of had him be, you know, our role model because he really is a, a voice of truth and simply yeah. just preaches Jesus in the catechism and what is found in the catechism. And it's, you are the same way. <laughs> Have you talked yeah. with him? Oh, yes, I know him personally. Uh, <laughs> oh, great. Yes. How did you guys meet? Pardon? How did you and Bishop Strickland meet? Ah, I was, uh, I think, four years ago in Dallas, uh, also for a, an event uh, in honor of Blessed Emperor Karl of Austria. 
because there is a small group of uh, prayer league in honor of this blessed emperor. And they invited me. And uh, there was also, there came also Bishop Strickland. And so I met him in Dallas. Excellent. And so, together. And since there, I'm in contact with him. Oh, that's mm. great. Yes. Lots of similarity and just speaking the truth. And, yes. and the truth is so simple. Yeah. It's a blessing for, for your country, these yes. bishops. Hopefully, there had to be more bishops like Bishop Strickland. Mm, yes. If there will be more, the, the springtime of the church will come sooner. Mm. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what you were saying really, it just instantly as you were talking, uh, not in any way to diminish the role of you as a bishop or as bishops in the, in the hierarchy of the church, but as dads, all of the points that you mentioned, I, I'm having conversations with my daughters about, you know, she's, she's in a, an online Catholic homeschool program. And the first uh, student that she's encountered uh, so far is uh, announced to the whole class uh, that she goes by certain uh, pronouns that were not obviously her gender. And, uh, and it was good that nobody even made a word to acknowledge it. She just said it. And uh, my daughter, Joan, was just like, yeah, she was just like pushing that on everyone. Mm. You know, no matter what anybody else, you know, it, nobody else had to describe anything. They just were themselves. Mm. Uh, but they're, you know, she said it's like she's trying to be something she's not. So she has to actually say it out loud. Yeah. And I thought, what wisdom from a 13 year old child. Yes, this is beautiful because this is, depends on the education and this is a sign that you educate good your children and continue this and uh, to promote uh, common sense also. We have to restore common sense really. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be a trait that people are losing these days. Common, common sense. Yeah, it's not so common, right? <laughs> we have to restore simply common sense. Yes. So I was recently in Africa visiting there a good com good communities there, even with the traditional liturgy, and uh, and I saw all these simple people. It was so so good to to see the how do you say the the common sense <laughs> yeah. of of these people especially the Af in africa they they, mm. they have to teach our the europeans and the americans what is common sense <laughs> yes yeah. it's it's almost uh, that reminds me of original sin uh, yeah. the desire to have this knowledge to be like god you know to have the same knowledge of god and it's that's what got in the way of us. You know, we could have just lived simply and enjoyed the garden. Yes, yes, exactly. And it's like, we're so blessed, but we just got to, you know, we got to mess it all up. Yeah, yeah. It's all so simple. It's like, our human nature to screw things up. <laughs> yeah, it's very because true. Human nature and the natural law, it's a work of God, the creator, mm. with all his wisdom and with his love. And now the current um, gender ideology, it's, it's an attempt against God. It, it's a revolt against the, the order which God created in his wisdom. 
and therefore they have to restore the meaning of natural law, yes. which is the wisdom of God, the natural law. And, uh, and this is so important. I think all the Christians and the people of goodwill, we have to make an alliance of common sense, I would say. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I'm not sure if we're able to record it, but at least, uh, can you share your story from the book about when you were uh, with the souls in purgatory, you were staying in the monastery and there was a miracle that happened, or at least that's the word I would use about uh, your connection with the souls in purgatory. Well, it was not personally for me. Yeah. But uh, I was in this monastery. And there um, happened some, some events from a soul of purgatory who had the, the permission of God to make some petitions to these sisters, uh, to ask them prayers and to communicate them some truth. And so, and I got this knowledge, not directly, but through the sisters and I saw the the words which this soul of purgatory it was a priestly soul wrote and it was full of wisdom really very simple nothing exaggerated nothing too much mystical but simply the truths which you are seeing in God in, in the eternity they are seeing so clearly that the basic and the, the substantial truth. And this is so important. I very much um, um, treasured these, these communications, which I already know there, there was nothing new for me, but simply again, remind you the basic truth. And, and also, which what was characteristic for this poor soul, <laughs> that we have to be very um, faithful to God and to our duties and to take it at serious, not superficially, to mm -hmm. not pass this life superficially. I think this, this was my impression after I have read these communications that please take your life at serious. Yeah. Where you are staying, at home or at, you are a family father, family mother, or a worker, you are a priest or a religious sister, take this very serious because you have to give one day an account, account before God yeah. and use all the means which God give you and God gives you so many aids and means to live according to his will, to live fully, seriously, your Christian vocation. Uh, the graces, the sacraments, the prayers, even some uh, necessary um, works of penance, all this is together. Uh, it is showing our Christian life. Mm. And then uh, what also is important in these communications that we have to love God so much ever, ever more. That this is the, the deepest reason of the repentance of these souls in purgatory, 
that they did not love God enough. Mm. God loved, they, they recognized the immense love of God and, and that they, they gave in their life on earth so a weak answer to this offering of love of God, which he offers to you, to all of us, the immense love of God. And this is uh, the deepest um, pain of repentance of the souls in purgatory. They did not love sufficiently. They did not give an answer, sufficient answer to this love of God. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. It's, it's so what you just said makes me think like oftentimes I want to write notes for what I learned from those that we have on the show. And if I'm at a conference or something, but not to sound too mystical about it, but I feel like what you were just saying is something that you were writing on my heart mm. uh, because it's not something that I need to write down to remember. It's who I need to be yeah. and what I need to do personally. Yeah. That's powerful. Powerful. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was unique to your book that 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 you shared that story. So thank you for sharing that personal story. And yeah, we we have forgotten the souls in purgatory. They need our prayers, and and uh, we're gonna need those prayers someday too. Many of us, God willing, we're gonna be a saint. But uh, yes, many they need it. I have a question about: uh, Is there an apostolate in your diocese that you see that's becoming very or that is very effective? whether it's for bringing new folks into the church or uh, spreading the news, the good news. We have an apostolate, I would say, of prayer in our diocese. We have a perpetual adoration chapel, day and night, 24 hours awesome. in the cathedral. And this is attracting people slowly. Mm -hmm. So these prayers, day and night, uh, God, is hearing, as I believe, and slowly people are coming, even non-Christians, even from a Muslimic background, come sometimes to this chapel, and they happen that some even of non-Christians, non-baptized people, were attracted by the Eucharistic presence of Jesus, and asked for, for baptism, and we prepared some of these people to holy baptism. Wow. So and, they, and then uh, they, uh, they became also adorers then afterwards of the Eucharist. This is, uh, from my experience, the most important and deep apostolate of Eucharistic adoration. And, and then we have also, uh, apostolate has to be also practical in a practical way. So we have then also the, oftentimes we are letting, uh, let us say an image of Our Lady, uh, an icon to make a pilgrimage throughout all the families of our diocese and the, or the parishes at least. And then inside the parishes, um, a pilgrimage in the families of Our Lady of the of these icons it, it's also bearing fruits it is a simple way but god loves the simple methods not some complicated methods of apostolate and then also we have uh, 
catechesis, of course, every day. We have um, in YouTube, uh, we do some good uh, small teachings about the faith. So I think this is the main uh, important uh, methods of the apostolate. Of course, then we have the usual apostolate of the young people to prepare them good for marriage. The, we have this movement of pure hearts for, for the adolescents and youth to teach them chastity, modesty, also for young people. This is so important to make the, to see, to show them the beauty of this virtue of chastity. And then to help families, we have a family center to, to make apostolate for families that they can come to make some days of recollections of prayers. So this is the main work which we are doing. Yeah. Wow. wow, what a great idea. I mean, how simple, prayer. Ooh, yeah, ooh, right. Uh, it, it, you don't have to complicate things, just make it simple, you know, keep it simple. Prayer and signs of holiness, or of sacredness, yeah. like the pilgrimages, the icons, and formation are in faith. Mm -hmm. Amen. It's interesting how many conversion stories uh, are centered, are Christocentric because of the Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So many. It's exactly. the Eucharist time I, and time I, again. I, I, I tell you now this story. We had in our town um, a, a doctor. He was for, of uh, psychiatrics. I mean, to help people who had some problems psychological and he had also gave a counseling psychological counseling and they came a lot of people to him uh, with depression with problems personal problems and he was not a christian he was a uh, local from maybe a islamic background but not practicing but nevertheless he was reading the gospel simply because it helped him in his psychological work and then he heard that we have an adoration chapel, 24 hours. And out of curiosity, one day he came to see what, what an atmosphere is this, as he called psychological atmosphere. Mm. <laughs> and he entered this chapel with the blessed sacrament and he was so moved by this presence, he was not baptized, so moved. And he said he never experienced so much a peace, yeah. an inner peace in his soul as in this adoration chapel. <laughs> wow. And then after, afterwards, when people came to him with problems with, uh, of their life, with, with depression and all this, he started to, to make them a pres medical prescription go one hour and spend in <laughs> yes yes that is awesome oh man i bet his ppo could pray for that that's that's a cheap <laughs> that's a cheap prescription yeah the insurance loves him a non-baptized right made a medical prescription go <laughs> one hour and spend in the adoration chapel yes Ooh. jesus the great that's healer awesome. yes in our day some uh, unfortunately, some priests, they do, uh, they advise people to make one hour yoga meditation. Mm. Wow. Oh, no. 
there are yoga centers in some yeah. uh, Catholic convents, yeah. but what a contrast. These non-Christians made uh, a, a prescription to spend one hour before the Blessed Sacrament. And from these who came from him, later we baptized at least three or four people. Great. Wow. Yes, wow. they were cured by the by our Lord in the Eucharist. Yes. I'm assuming that he was baptized as well. And later and later this doctor also was baptized in our church. He became Christian. He's now already he passed away. He was already aged. But and he took the name of the prophet Jeliah. Mm. <laughs> awesome. That, wow. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, That's beautiful. Great. That's the power of the Eucharist. Yes. If we just wow. bring people to him, he can do the rest. Yes. Wow. Well, yeah. speaking of the Eucharist, we talked earlier about the Second Vatican Council and how the, some changes occurred from going from the traditional mass to the Norvis Ordo. So obviously things didn't get implemented the way they were supposed to be in be done how do we get that back on track do we start completely over is it time for another council what do we do to get things straightened out i hope not to do another council yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is not it 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 showed that this council simply as a matter of facts did not bring the springtime of the church Mm. It is a matter of fact, we have to acknowledge this, and, and brought a lot of confusion. And therefore, at least in this, in this our life, I would avoid to <laughs> do a council, but the Pope and bishops had to again to stress and to teach the, the faith of all ages, which is unchanging and changing. The, the true faith of our forefathers, of the saints, which we have in the good old catechisms, let us say the Baltimore Catechism and, and other good, to, to preach again this, to restore the holiness, sacredness in the Holy Mass, in the reception of Holy Eucharist, to improve the celebration of Mass, maybe to introduce elements of the traditional Mass in the new Mass, slowly so that the both forms will become so close mm. and again powerfully stress the centrality of christ the centrality of adoration the centrality of the supernatural and this is the way i think to do this and then the pope has to issue clear statements i hope even uh, infallible pronouncements ex cathedra about the main errors uh, which are spread today in the life of the church. This is so necessary. And I think it could be a way uh, for, for again, restoring uh, the life of the church uh, according to the, to the perennial tradition of the church and the apostles and the saints. Therefore, better to avoid a council, but do these steps. And this is easier, I think, and will bring more effects. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah. Con I mean, that seems some pretty simple to me. Yeah, practical, <laughs> yeah. I mean, wasn't that the point in the first place to kind of, wasn't to throw out all of the Latin and 
but wasn't the point of the council and some of the liturgical changes, wasn't it meant to be not what we have? This Norvis Order that we're celebrating now is not what the council first said it to be because there were supposed to be elements of Latin and other th other forms of the old mass implemented in the new one. Exactly. And there are two expressions in the Second Vatican Council in the constitutional liturgy where it stated that the Latin language must be kept in the Roman rite. So must, it is not an option mm. and is forgotten completely. Mm. And, and so for example, and uh, the Vatican Council only said uh, for the vernacular languages, they could be given um, a space in the liturgy, well, but not completely in the vernacular. It was never meant by the council that the mass is completely celebrated in the vernacular language, never. And there was a, a reform of the mass during the council, and this is the true Vatican II mass. It was issued in, in the beginning of the 1965, so still during the council, the so-called 65 mass, and it's, it is substantially the traditional mass, but only that the first part is celebrated in the vernacular language and from the Eucharistic prayer it was in Latin and in silence, mm -hmm. even 65. And only in the beginning, the Psalm 42 was dropped and the last gospel and the rest, all the ceremonies, all the genuflections and crosses remained. So this was a very careful um, reform. And the council fathers, they were happy with this reform. But when the council ended, then came, unfortunately, the liturgical commission under Bugnini in Rome, they made a revolution. Yeah. And this is our current Novus Ordo Mass. It is a revolution. And it is evidently not corresponding to, uh, to that what was spoken during the council. We have the documents, the acts, and the protocols of the discussions of the council. You can read this. It is in Latin, but you can read this. I, I read this several times. And the, the document itself, it is not asking for some um, drastic changes mm. as occurred, un unfortunately. So we have to, as I mentioned, to come back and to the Novus Order had to have again these elements, many elements of the traditional mass. So it would be more according to the intention of the fathers of the Second Vatican Council. Mm. Mm. So what can we do as laymen as you said before, merge them, get them merged so close that they're, you can't tell one from the other. How do, how do we as laymen get it, get it there? Do, do we, well, yeah. you as laymen, unfortunately, you cannot, you have no decision power on this <laughs> issue. But this is the clergy and Rome. But we can propose the things uh, and uh, ask, for example, if you are in a novice order parish, ask your parish priest to, to, to use Latin at least during the Eucharistic prayer, to use Gregorian chant, 
and to celebrate the mass towards the Lord, to make a communion rail, uh, and so on. This is a possibility where pay people can, lay people can make these advices and these suggestions. Yeah. But unfortunately today, even if a parish priest will do this, he will not be supported by the bishop, yeah. and the bishop will probably forbid him, him to do this, wow. uh, the majority of the bishops. This is our problem. Therefore, uh, ultimately, this has to come from Rome, from a pope who will say to the bishop, please do this, and will even command them to do this. And the majority of the bishops will do this. Mm -hmm. So, uh, therefore, we have to pray to implore the Lord that he will, he may give us again a more clear, courageous pope who will restore the faith and the liturgy in its integrity according to the perennial constant tradition of the church. Mm -hmm. wow. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for your explicit and clear explanation. I, I really, we really appreciate it. And mm -hmm. it's one of the big reasons we wanted you on and, and to be able to, to discuss this with you. Because you've saying? given good, uh, good, clear explanation which is 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 all what we hope That's, to hear from rome yes right and what you're giving as a bishop and so we appreciate it i have one one last question for me is is there a um a uh an, a group of bishops that are like-minded such as yourself and bishop strickland is there um a, a means by which you all communicate around the world uh, no, to my knowledge, not. Okay. It, is, it is very difficult, very delicate. If we will do this, then probably the nuncios and the and Rome will know this. Wow. And label us such a group as a kind of schismatic or suspicious group. And so the bishops are very afraid and uh, very, how do you say, prudent on these issues. Well, we have some personal communications, of course, on a personal level, but yeah. not as, as an organization, unfortunately, not yet. It is difficult because then, I repeat, you will label This, I repeat, this should come from Rome because the bishops we are Catholic bishops, we are not Protestant, not Anglicans, where we can uh, establish our own groups. Uh, we are bishops, Catholic bishops, who are under Peter, under the Pope, together with him. And the Pope is the, the head of the episcopacy, according to the will of the Lord. And so the Pope should coordinate and encourage such groups of bishops to say, oh, please do this, uh, meet and promote the, the, the truth, the clarity of the faith. Please promote the holiness of the Eucharist. I will be with you. So this should come from, from Rome. And mm. then there will be groups of bishops who will do this because they will know we have a support and a protection from Rome. Mm. But mm. this is not, Yet, uh, we, it is difficult to do. In the meantime, we have to do what we can, every bishop in his place, to encourage people, especially you, 
the family, fathers and mothers and families, you are the hope for us bishops. Mm. I'm so grateful to you. And really, at least you are the domestic churches and you are the hope for the future of the church. And from your families, I hope and I believe they will come good priests. Mm -hmm. Your sons. I well, we hope so. <laughs> Pray for us. <laughs> and your will come. Maybe they will have sons. And oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes, yes. From your sons and grandsons will come good priests, mm. bishops, yeah. who will again help to restore the beauty and the springtime of the church. Amen. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Thank you so much for all your time. Oh, yes. absolutely. We, we can't thank you enough. We can't think we can see the sun has been coming up in your window as we've been talking. So because nice to the sun. <laughs> yes. The springtime yes. is here. <laughs> springtime is on your end, but on our end, you actually blessed us with some rain. We haven't had rain in months, and then here it is through this interview. So we're gonna have you on again. So yeah. <laughs> will you will you give us and our listeners a blessing, Bishop? Yes. Dominus Vobiscum et cum spiritu tuo. Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis Patris et Fili et Spiritus Sancti descendat super vos et mariat semper. Amen. 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 Thank you. Christ. Now Amen. and forever. Now thank and forever, yes. <laughs> Amen. Well, Your Excellency, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we can't thank you again. It was a joy for me. Continue Great. beautiful apostolate. Thank, Thank you, so, you much. so much. God bless if there's you. Any way we can help you, please let us know. Goodbye. I hope maybe we can meet one day in Texas. Yes. Oh, that'd be, yes. Awesome. That'd that'd be, be a amazing. blessing. October, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the meantime, <laughs> be bold. Be real. Be Catholic. God, God bless. bless.